Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Glad you're with us today on the Three Martini Lunch. We're brought to you today by Quip. You can get your Quip Electric Toothbrush starting at just $25, and you'll also get your first refill pack of brushes free at getquip.com slash martini. We've got good, bad, and crazy for you today. Normal format. Jim, let's start with the good, and for that, we head down to the Sunshine State of Florida. This is from the Sun Sentinel. After hours of debate filled with gripping emotional details about the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas massacre and soaring rhetoric about constitutional rights and the weighty responsibilities of elected officials, the Florida Senate voted Wednesday to permanently remove suspended Broward Sheriff Scott Israel. Now, a lot of folks will remember that uh, Governor DeSantis did that in the first few days uh, after becoming governor back in January. Uh, The vote in the Florida Senate was 25 to 15, largely along Party lines, the folks over at Hot Air saying the only surprise here is that it wasn't unanimous. Scott Israel says he's going to win this job back because he he did a great job. He talked about the fact that he uh, provided amazing leadership in the wake of this uh, horrific school shooting back um, last year. So, uh, Jim, what do you make of the fact that uh, lawmakers now have agreed with Governor DeSantis that getting rid of Scott Israel uh, was a very good move? It's a good outcome. It's the right outcome. There's a part of me that is surprised that anybody in the Florida legislature really wanted to have this fight. I can see why Scott Israel would want to have this fight. Uh, I'm sure he's convinced that he's done nothing wrong and that uh, this could have happened on anybody's watch. And by golly, he ran a a swell uh, police department and It just happened to be one guy who just didn't quite do what he was supposed to do and simply stood by as other kids were getting shot instead of confronting the gunman. And, you know, so I, I, like, you know, a whole bunch of these, you know, interviews, he sounded like he's not quite playing with a full deck. You know, at one point, Tapper had that interview and he went into, what was it, you know, sticks and stones might break my bones, but names will never, it was something, you know, where, where you just got, it was not a reassuring answer from a guy who's in charge of a law enforcement organization and he sounded um depending on your point of view maybe either cuckoo for cocoa puffs or just flat out like a politician who wanted to give political spin and in fact going back to that first town hall uh infamously aired by cnn and moderated by uh, or, or anchored or, or you know managed by jake tapper um scott israel sounded like a guy who wanted to win re-election on a platform of gun control than a guy who was in charge of a law enforcement organization um, whose job was to enforce the law and who was going to hold his department accountable for what had happened um he knew at the time that his uh, officer at the scene had not responded that his officer in the school had you know stood there and he didn't mention any of that and we had to learn that a couple of days so to me this is you know flat out indefensible one of the best moves by desantis it's really kind first of all um, apparently, there's a photo of a Florida lawmaker, surprise, surprise, a Democrat who fell asleep during the debate uh, for that, uh, Greg, you know, like, you know, like, you, what, it's not dramatic enough for you? Stakes aren't high enough for you? Not This isn't, this isn't keeping your attention, uh, sir? But anyway, um, kind of surprising that the 15 Democrats voted this way. And I don't know whether this they're voting for him out of a uh, partisan loyalty, partisan opposition to DeSantis, a genuine, by golly, DeSantis really did a swell job or well, at least he's a strong advocate for gun control, and that means he should get reinstated. Uh, you know, Either way, if you're a Florida Republican, this is fantastic, because you are the, on the side of accountability, and the, all the de- a whole bunch of the Democrats, if not all of them, lined up to say, nah, we're cool with this. It's fine. You know, This, this guy is really the real victim here. 
And, uh, you know, it, that's egregious. But uh, the state's been trending red for a while. And, uh, you know, when Florida Democrats behave like this, you can't be the least bit surprised. Jim, I don't have a uh, real good read on, on how local officials in Broward County are doing as of late. But uh, a year ago at this time, Scott Israel had a job and so did Brenda Snipes. And now they don't. And so I can only imagine that things are on the upswing uh, in terms of public service there in Broward County. Hard to believe they get worse. <laughs> The good news uh, that we can talk about here for a moment, just as a respite, uh, is the fact that we can once again pitch Quip electric toothbrushes. I mentioned the other day that my wife bought the kids' Quips for our girls, and they love them. Uh, And in addition to the fact that they buzz and they can keep track of 30 seconds, and we're happy that their teeth are actually getting clean, uh, with the old toothbrushes, they just kind of toss them onto the counter, and you just wondered if they were staying as germ-free as possible. Quip's also got the multi-use cover, which uh, works as a stand. It mounts to the mirror. It just tidies up the uh, the vanity, and not just for the kids, but for your adult Quip toothbrushes as well. Quip, if you don't already know, is the remarkably simple electric toothbrush. It was created by dentists, who obviously know what they're talking about, and product designers to focus on what actually matters for your oral health, which is obviously healthier oral habits. Quip's sensitive vibrations with a built-in timer guide gentle brushing for the densest recommended two minutes with 30-second pulses, ensuring an even clean. Quip automatically delivers brush heads to you every three months for clean new bristles right on schedule. The sleek, intuitive design is simple to use and comes with a travel cap that doubles as a mirror mount. Simply put, Quip makes brushing something you actually want to do twice a day. Your oral care matters, so ditch the gimmicks and grab a Quip. Quip starts at just $25, and you'll also get your first refill pack of brushes free at getquip.com martini. This is a simple way to not only support our podcast and start brushing better, but you have to go to getquip.com martini to get your first refill free. So go right now, getquip.com martini, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash martini. All right, Jim, yesterday we were talking about some curious polling where Americans, at least a slim majority, were saying, yeah, that Medicare for all sounds pretty good to me. Oh, you can't keep your private insurance? Well, I don't like that. Oh, we might have to pay more in taxes? I really don't like that. Oh, I might have to wait longer to get treatment? Yeah, I hate that, actually. Well, now we got some more curious polling. This was uh, conducted by the Campaign for Free Speech, and it deals with Americans' attitudes towards the First Amendment, Jim. And this is at least equally depressing, if not more so. 51% of Americans think the First Amendment is outdated and should be rewritten. Um, The First Amendment, in case you don't know, protects your right to free exercise of uh, religion. Uh, The fact that the government can't create a state religion, uh, free speech, uh, assembly, freedom of the press, uh, petition of grievances, and so forth. 48% believe that hate speech should be illegal. Now, it wasn't defined in the survey, and I'm guessing that most people who said yes also can't define it. Also, 80% don't actually know what the First Amendment really protects. According to the Campaign for Free Speech, those polled believe the statement is true. Quote, the First Amendment allows anyone to say their opinion no matter what, and they are protected by law from any consequences of saying those thoughts or opinions. Jim, we see in our discussions every day that people saying stupid things have consequences. They just can't necessarily be prosecuted for them. So uh, what do you make of people so easily willing to erode their own rights here? 
deeply depressing on on a whole bunch of fronts and you know it's kind of turned into one of the cliches of politics of you know people ask the founders as they're coming out of the the writing of the constitution what kind of government do we have a a republic if you can keep it right and the idea that you know somehow we have fallen down on the job of of being the kind of citizens who can maintain a republic and people have been arguing going back to you know de Tocqueville um, this idea that, you know, you, you need a certain amount of individual responsibility to function as a republic, that um, you can't have the government be the all-powerful daddy figure in people's lives. It can't be a nanny state. Government can't be the path to which people solve every single problem and every single dispute in their lives. Um, it requires a certain amount of independence, a certain amount, a certain amount of self-motivation, shall we say. Uh, a certain amount of a way to sort out these disputes without needing the heavy hand of the state to come in and mitigate every single, every single one of these things. Um, it also requires you to understand what the heck the government does and what its duties are, what the duties are not supposed to be. Um, somebody once said the most dangerous words in the English language are, there ought to be a law. <laughs> Usually coming from some irritable person at the end of the bar who has seen something on the news that irks them. Um, and we've already seen this argument from, you know, from all across the political spectrum, the idea that things I don't like should be illegal and things I don't like are unconstitutional, regardless of what the Constitution actually says. Um, you know, a, a common refrain that comes up in these arguments is the Constitution doesn't cover hate speech. Well, actually, yeah, it does. Or at the very least, Supreme Court precedents that base this. I mean, you got to be really specific if you're to characterize words as a incitement to violence and you know, the courts have been very reluctant to say, you know, um, the president is a doofus. Well, you're calling on people to shoot the president. Therefore you're inciting, but no, no, it doesn't work that way. It's gotta be very, you know, not just a particular person, not or, or a particular group. Um, there has to be a reasonable fear that your actions are going to do that. You know um, it's been the hot argument in politics these days. It particularly came after the, uh, the shooting of Gabby Giffords. Um, this idea that somehow angry rhetoric directed at Democrats had caused the shooter to shoot Gabby Gibbards, when in fact the guy was a paranoid schizophrenic who was hearing voices, and it was you know, and his his whole argument was that punctuation was some sort of conspiracy or something like that. This guy was not operating on any plane of existence that uh, uh, resembled our you know normal, regular, ordinary human being political discourse. And the idea that it was Sarah Palin's map on her Facebook page or something like that that spurred it was ridiculous. But the New York Times still came out and argued that in an editorial not that long ago. Um, most people's attitude towards the First Amendment is, and, and free speech comes down, boils down to, well, things I like should be allowed, but things I don't like should not be allowed. And they are usually pretty darn blind to how arbitrary that is, to how uh, quickly it can change, how much they can make excuses for uh, incendiary or heated rhetoric from people they like and how much they can hand wave it away. Um, I remember Bill Maher getting, making the argument and people, people said, you know, why are you allowed to use the B word, the C word and other words to refer to Sarah Palin, but it's completely out of line for Rush Limbaugh to say it. He said, well, because I'm a comedian. Um, this is, this cites the well, the well-known comedian exemption in the first <laughs> amendment. You know, you whatever rules you want to enact, you have to be willing to live under. Whatever rules you want to enforce on other people, you have to be willing to have enforced on yourselves. And for a long time, I've made the argument of like, I you know, I don't really see any purpose for state government and, and intervention. The only thing I would note is that um, if you went back to the founders and you said, what kind of speech could they envision? What kind of speech could they not envision? 
because you've heard the arguments, uh, and you know, the, the sort of things come from our friends at Reason Magazine and other libertarians. Lap dancing is a constitutionally protected form of speech. Now, Greg, I don't know about you. I guess uh, traditionally, I've always thought of speech as involving mouths uh, and fewer laps. But I, I suppose you could make that argument, or I suppose you could say the government uh, restricting this is a slippery slope or something. I don't think that's really that. But the people who wanted to defend Citizens United was, well, look, getting together as a group and running ads arguing about a political issue or for or against a certain candidate, the First Amendment was never meant to protect that. Well, actually, no, that's exactly what it was meant to protect. That was exactly the kind of speech that was going on in the founder. You know, wait, criticism of a leader is the sort of thing you're going to say is off limits? No, no, sorry, guys. That's not the way it worked. And that was always the big beef at Citizens United. And I know that Democrats don't like the idea that money equals speech, that somehow you can limit the amount of money people can use to advocate for a particular cause, and that somehow you're not restricting their speech rights in the Supreme Court, at least a 5-4 decision. And you know, my guess is probably if they revisited it, the, the decision might be even more lopsided, would say, no, you can't enact a restriction on somebody's uh, political spending that does not also end up restricting their right to speak their mind and say what they want. The other thing is that all of the campaign finance proposals that have been shuffled around uh, always make exemptions for the media, which basically assumes that the New York Times editorial is not a political message, except that it is. And the arguments that, um, uh, that, you know, basically the union spending usually gets exempted from uh, this being a particular big institution. There's always an exemption for you. Again, once again, the, oh no, the, the speech by my allies doesn't count. It's not something that should be applied under here. Um, to me, the answers are not that complicated, right? They, they, you, know, you have to accept the speech you don't like in order to protect the speech you do like. And the fact that people can't get through their heads and apparently judging from this poll, Greg, significant numbers of Americans uh, just don't understand the point of the First Amendment anymore is deeply disturbing. Now, the con changing the Constitution is difficult, um, but I think what we'll see here is probably what we probably saw from the Second Amendment for a very long time. People will pass laws that simply ignore what the First Amendment says and wait for the courts to sort it out. As you could have expected, this is a different survey referred to by the Campaign for Free Speech. Millennials are a big part of the problem. 57% of them agree that the First Amendment should be rewritten, and 54% think possible jail time would be an appropriate consequence for hate speech. So that's where we're headed. Anyway, Jim, let's move into our crazy martini now, and uh, let's talk about what happened yesterday up on Capitol Hill. Adam Skiff, Adam, sorry, Adam Schiff in the Skiff. Uh, he, of course, is the intelligence chairman. He's uh, conducting these uh, depositions behind closed doors. Republicans are very upset about the process. They want it out in the open because they think we're only getting leaked uh, snippets from these different uh, witnesses that uh, is favorable to the Democrats and the Republicans who are in there say, look, if you saw all the transcripts or if they were in front of TV cameras, you would see that the Democrats don't have much of a case here. So on Wednesday, a bunch of uh, House Republicans went into the SCIF, which is a secure facility. You're not supposed to bring phones and other uh, electronic devices in there. Uh, they did that anyway. Uh, they sat there. They ordered pizza there. Uh, they got a lot of attention. They delayed the uh, the deposition for quite a while. Uh, and ultimately, I think things are fairly back on schedule going forward here. Uh, Jim, you think that uh, the Republicans had a good point on this process question initially, and now they just make themselves look stupid. Yeah, I mean, to me, that was a good, you know, I don't want to say this, the, the canary in the coal mine, but you know, a good useful indicator came late yesterday afternoon when Amy Walter, who runs uh, 
I think it's National Journal. Uh, she used to work at the Hotline. She, you probably have seen her on panel discussions on cable news shows. This woman is not a righty. Let's let's know. She, she's probably pretty close to down the middle as you're going to find in the mainstream media. Um, and she raised the question of like, okay, so why can't the Democrats start releasing transcripts of some of these um, uh, depositions and statements they're taking? Why can't we get here, you know, transcripts? Why you? Why does all this need to be held behind closed doors? And the most common argument, first of all, again, if, if Amy Walter is asking that question, that question is probably going through the minds of quite a few people who are not conservatives who are watching this process. But the most common response you get was, well, look, uh, you know, it's like a grand jury and, you know, you don't want people coordinating their their testimony. Um, and if you if this stuff comes out, people know what the first guy said. So they're going to make sure their story matches up and, you know, you you won't get to the bottom of things. And Greg, on paper, that's a really compelling argument. The problem is there are 16 pages of Bill Taylor's opening statement that are on top of that paper. <laughs> you know, like that makes sense. But we all know what Bill Taylor's opening statement was now because it was in the Washington Post and CNN and NBC News and um, all of these other this in PBS. It, it all came out and was everywhere. Um, we've also gotten lots of other strategic links. So this leaks. So the idea that, you know, oh, this works. Um, this stuff has to remain secret because uh, otherwise uh, people can coordinate their, their testimony. Well, okay, but then stop leaking stuff. <laughs> Once you start leaking, you, can, you know, the, the, the point of keeping it secret doesn't work anymore. For what it's work, uh, worth, Eric Swalwell, we all remember how much we love him, the, the you know, guy who was running for president for about 10 minutes uh, and managed to stand out as the annoying one on a stage that had Julian Castro and Beta O'Rourke. Um, Swalwell says he thinks they're already coordinating testimony. Uh, and it was also another uh, intelligence committee member as well. I don't, again, we're not seeing what they're seeing. Maybe he's being paranoid. Maybe they aren't. But this whole process is designed to stop people from coordinating their testimony. It's not working, uh, at least in their guys. And the other thing is also like it's very, again, these are all people who've been working on the same issues and working in the same places, um, State Department and, and White House and, and other places like that for, from the beginning. The odds that they've been talking to each other all along, either specifically about what they're going to testify about, or at least the topics that they're going to testify about, they've probably been talking about this all along. The other argument is, well, what if it's classified? Well, I, I, so far, again, we don't know what's going on behind these closed doors. If there is getting into classified national security information, all right, fine. That that does make uh, that would that would be an issue. But I haven't heard anything indicating, oh, this is exactly how the javelin missiles work, or something like that. Um, as far as I know, none of it has dealt with classified information. Um, the argument, though, the, and the third thing is that, you know, so what, when, why are they fighting over who gets access to these witnesses? Can the witnesses testify? Can they get the documents and records from the White House, et cetera? Trump administration says executive privilege. And I, this, you know, most people who've studied executive privilege would say, we're getting into a real gray area here. Um, depending on how you define it, you could say either charcoal or <laughs> off-white in terms of gray area. Um, most presidents have been kind of careful about how they uh, claim executive privilege because it's never real. The guidelines and limits have never really been set out by the courts. And so the argument is the sketchier the area, the less you want to do it because this is somewhere later, this is going to start spur a big court fight that will end up defining executive privilege and set a precedent for future presidents down the line. Does the president, you know, uh, have a good standing here? I don't know. But the argument from the from you know Schiff and the rest is no, you don't have a right to keep this secret. You don't have you know uh, executive privilege does not apply here. It must be told to us. It must be revealed so that we can look at it in a closed session. 
It must be stopped. You can't keep it secret so that we can have it and then we can keep it secret. Um, <laughs> now, literally, also, anything involving impeachment that is that consequential, Greg, your figure is going to have to be repeated in open hearing. You figure we're going to get most of these witnesses under oath in front of the TV cameras, but the whole country can see them. If Democrats don't do that, they're making a colossal mistake. Um, so it's possible that in a couple of weeks, this is all moot, and we go through, the whole, through this whole process again with the, cam with the cameras rolling and in a public hearing and with questions from both sides, and that this all kind of shakes away. But again, this is Adam Schiff, who's had pretty lousy judgment throughout this entire process, exhibiting bad judgment again. And I think the Republicans were, were starting to get some momentum here. Now the argument is, oh, well, you can believe these idiots. They brought cell phones into a skiff. What were they thinking, et cetera, et cetera. So um, there's a valid point here to be made. Okay, we, under, we can understand maybe the initial steps in this process have to be done behind closed doors. But guys, this started in late September, all right? We're, we're, we're a week from Halloween. When do we get to the opens part? And they're saying, well, maybe mid-November. You know, look, you can't keep impeachment process behind closed doors forever the more you do it in Republic, you know, and I, but the sneaking, just like the, the decision on the House Democrats to not have a formal vote opening the inquiry, the sneaking suspicion is the reason they're, you know, they didn't hold the vote. The sneaking suspicion, they held the vote because even the people say they want to vote for it, they're not really willing to vote for it. And the second thing is that, oh, we've got all this damaging stuff we're hearing in closed session. Well, if it's all that damaging, open it up then. We'll be watching. And uh, this was supposed to be fast tracked. We're hearing stories now that it's taking longer than they thought. And there are also stories uh, in the last few weeks about how if this timetable stays on the course, a lot of people think then a lot of senators running for president are going to be spending a lot of time in Washington when they really, really don't want to be there early next year. But uh, Greg, well, do you hear that? That's Joe Biden laughing hysterically. <laughs> <laughs> this malarkey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, Jim, I will not be here tomorrow, but you will be. There will be a three martini lunch. So uh, have a fantastic weekend and I will see you again on Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Tune in tomorrow for the three martini lunch. In the meantime, head over to getquip.com slash martini. Get your Quip toothbrush and your first refill pack of brushes free. Getquip.com slash martini. Tune in Friday for the next three martini lunch.